Our next guest is right up my alley, and I'm sure she and I are going to geek out together because she is a MedSLP and she does voice and dysphagia work with head and neck cancer patients. So Lauren Fay is our next guest. She is a senior clinical speech language pathologist. Lauren studied communication sciences and disorders and music at Baylor University and earned her master's degree in speech language pathology from Vanderbilt University. She completed an externship at MD Anderson's Cancer Center focusing on voice and swallowing disorders in patients with head and neck cancer. Great field, you guys. She expanded her knowledge of voice care while working with Dr. Robert Sadaloff at Philadelphia ENT Associates. Lauren has been at Duke Voice Care Center since 2016, where her role includes patient care and programmatic development of student, clinician, and community education endeavors. Clinical interests include tracheoesophageal voice prosthetic management, chronic cough, and perioperative voice rehabilitation. Lauren is a clinical instructor for the Graduate Level Voice Disorders class at UNC Chapel Hill and has been a featured speaker at the North Carolina Speech-Language Hearing Association Convention. Outside of work, Lauren enjoys reading, crafting, cooking, baking, and hanging out with her husband and pets. So, Lauren and I have so much in common. I come from Duke. My interests are so much of the same. So, we're going to welcome Lauren. and welcome to the Missing Link for the SLPs podcast. I am so glad you are here. Today's episode is part of the Medical SLP series where we talk to some amazing speech paths who work in a variety of medical settings, all the way from intensive care through to home care and everything else in between and beyond. You're gonna hear some incredible medical SLP stories and lots of advice from these passionate medical SLPs. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy you're here to have you, Lauren. Thank you. I'm really excited. This is actually my first podcast I've talked to, I've listened to many, but never spoken on one. So it's a new venture. We are so much fun. The people I connect with on the podcast, we just sit and we geek out about speech pathology stuff and where they've been and where they want to go. And it's really a neat way to connect with other people who are passionate in our field. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how um, my colleagues and I got together the other night and we actually did a really good job of not talking about work and speech pathology stuff for about an hour. And then we couldn't help ourselves and dove right back in because you just, <laughs> you can't turn it off, can you? <laughs> oh, no. And I think you and I are going to have especially um, a fun time connecting today because you and I are counterparts. Um, it, I, I've already done your bio um, as the lead-in, so the listeners have already heard that. And I'm a few years ahead of you, but I also come from some the Duke area. Um, did my undergraduate and graduate in a different area, but we, my first husband, he was a neuropsych, and he did his training at Duke, so I know Duke well. Mm. And I teach voice, and I do the head and neck cancer dysphagia, and that's exactly what you do. So pretty great careers we have as speech pathologists. Absolutely. Small world. And and it's there's something odd about the voice specialist specifically that we tend to find each other. It's almost as if we have a hidden mark that only other voice nerds can see. <laughs> and we tend to find each other and talk about it. 
<laughs> have you noticed that your voice, uh, I don't know what's the best way to say, your voice radar has has significantly become more fine-tuned with COVID because we have to rely on voice so much more now because we don't have the whole entire facial uh, features available us with communicating? Mm, that's a good That's a good question. Um, I, I don't know that I've been more attuned to people's voices in a different way just because it's always on. And for over 10 years now, I've been thinking about voice quality nonstop to, to where a friend of mine recommended a, another podcast and I listened to it and I was like, mm, I can't do it. She may be talking about the best thing in the world, but I can't, I can't listen to her voice for hours. So I don't know that I've noticed that particular aspect in COVID, but there have certainly been a lot of communication changes um, with how I work as a clinician and how I work as a colleague and uh, how I work with my patients and, and such, how I evaluate um, that has definitely changed with, with COVID and mask life, that's for sure. I'm excited to talk about all of those. Take us back, though, to the beginning of why you became a speech pathologist. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm so glad I was a speech pathologist, uh, that I am a speech pathologist. I was in band and choir all through junior high and high school and college. <laughs> and so was I. Right, former band kids also find each other somehow. Yeah. <laughs> so I was always more of a band kid personality wise, but I had more talent with singing or it came more easily to me. So I fit pretty nicely into both worlds. And in high school, I was thinking about what I wanted to do. And I was like, well, do I want to, yeah, do I want to teach band? Do I want to teach choir? And I just saw myself teaching middle schoolers how to play their, a flute for the first time or something. And that didn't excite me. And then I thought about well, medicine would be great. I have a good memory. I'm interested in helping people. Do I really want to go through all of that to get a medical degree? And uh, so I, I was trying to figure out how to blend those things. And then my voice teacher at the time was singing, I believe, with the local opera company. And she ended up having some voice trouble and went to voice therapy. She told me about it. And at 17 years old, I was like, oh, that's it. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to be a speech pathologist. I'm going to be a voice specialist. I even put it on my Facebook profile back in 2007 when Facebook was a brand new thing. And it was, that was what I decided to do. That was my dream when I was 17. And actually around that time, I started researching and found that I wanted to, you know, work in a voice center. And I actually found the Duke Voice Care Center. And somewhere around 17 to 19 years old, I decided that's where I wanted to work. That's what I wanted to do. Very focused. Very focused. Yes, that is one of my strengths or weaknesses, depending on how you look at it. But I'm pretty decisive. So when I found speech pathology, I was I was like, I am all in. Let me, I'm going for it 100% of the way. I knew as a freshman where I wanted to go to grad school, knew what I wanted to do. Um, and I realized that's not typical. A lot of my friends and colleagues um, had maybe more, uh, less less focused paths or, or different paths or better paths to speech pathology. Um, but we all get here, you know, if it's what we're supposed to do, we all get here. And we all, well, not all of us, not all of us, apparently you don't. Some of us shift. You don't. You've been focused on voice your entire career and mm -hmm. you've 
added dysphagia for head and neck cancer patients. Um, tell us about your setting, the setting that you work in and what your day looks like, please. Sure. So I work at the Duke Voice Care Center, which is an interdisciplinary clinic for voice and upper airway disorders. And it's part of the Department of Head and Neck Surgery and Communication Sciences within Duke University Health System. Um, so there are many layers there, but our, our voice center is a team of 11 speech pathologists and a pediatric otolaryngologist and two laryngologists. Um, so 90 plus percent of my caseload is voice, upper airway, cough. Um, and then I also do um, some head and neck and TEP laryngectomy management. I'm 100% outpatient and we have three locations that I and my colleagues go between depending on where our patients need to be seen and where the doctors that we work with are. It's a very um, specialized clinic and we work very, very closely as a team and very closely with our doctors as well, which I really appreciate. I um, I, I love the outpatient world. I like having a schedule and knowing <laughs> what, what, who I'm seeing at eight o'clock, who I'm seeing at two o'clock. So it fits me nicely. You mentioned TEP. For those mm -hmm. listening who do, do not know what a TEP is, can you describe what that is? Yes. Yeah, so a TEP, well, back up, backing up a little bit, um, a laryngectomy is, or someone who has had a laryngectomy is someone who has had their voice box removed, usually due to cancer or due to some other kind of um, swallowing or airway issue that could not be resolved in another way. So their voice box is removed and therefore their breathing and swallowing and communication change from the way it is before that surgery. So a TEP or tracheoesophageal voice prosthesis is a device, a medical device that is used to facilitate talking for these patients who've had a laryngectomy. And it is managed by a speech pathologist who assesses the device, aids in communication, changes the device when needed and makes uh, clinical decisions to improve the patient's communication and quality of life. It's not something that um, all patients who've had a laryngectomy have, but many, many do. So we stay pretty busy helping these patients continue to talk. It's a neat, it's a neat area. The Missing Link for SLPs podcast comes in at the level for graduate students and, and new speech pathologists. So it's really exciting to hear of things that you might not hear in a class or you might not see in a clinic. How much of your caseload is maybe possibly managing TEPs and all the TEP patients? I am in that particular clinic one day a week. Um, as our as our locations have grown, I'm doing less TEP management than I used to just due to mm -hmm. clinic needs. And we have recently hired um, another colleague who is doing more of that and, and really growing that program. So I could see four in a day, that one day per week. That would be pretty unusual. I might typically see one or two per week, um, depending. Sometimes it's feast or famine. 
sometimes I may see no one for a while and then all of a sudden everyone needs to be seen all at once. That's one of the fun things about laryngectomy care and TEP management is it's not always super predictable and it keeps you on your toes a little bit. So I would probably say about at this point, about 10% of my, my clinical time is spent with TEP or laryngectomy management. So you work with in a voice clinic, which is within a medical community, which is in a larger populous area. Chapel Hill is right by um, Durham in North Carolina there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm painting this picture for those listening um, because it's very different in rural settings. You are a team, part of a team, and your day rolls out. It starts at a certain time and ends at a certain time, correct? Mm-hmm. How much flexibility do you have within that schedule? And what about weekends and holidays? I'm very fortunate to not have to work weekends and holidays. I am not an hourly employee. I'm I'm a full-time salaried employee. So um, I do spend some time outside of work or in the evenings doing things. Um, But patient care occurs between 8 and 5. And on a typical day, I have slots on my schedule for generally seven to eight patients per day, whether that's for voice evaluation, voice therapy, or TEP or laryngectomy care. Some days a couple more get added on. Some days I have two, depending on how things shake out. Um, but it's it's fairly predictable. So if I am doing a day that has a lot of voice therapy, then I'm working on, you know, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock patient schedule. Or if I'm doing a day when I'm doing some voice evaluations, I might do four of those in the morning. And then I might have three voice therapy sessions in the afternoon, something along those lines. Who else is on your interdisciplinary team, interprofessional team? We mostly work with between the speech pathologist and the laryngologist So in our clinic, and voice clinics will do this in different ways. Voice clinics across the country have their own design. Our particular design is very closely uh, working together. So when a new patient, for example, comes to our clinic, they uh, see, they're scheduled to see the laryngologist, which is a super specialized ear, nose, and throat doctor who specializes just really in voice and upper airway. They're not a general ENT doctor. So they are scheduled with the laryngologist and the speech pathologist, and we go in together to get the history and understand what the patient's coming to see us for. And then the laryngologist leaves to go see another patient, and the speech pathologist does the exam, does the video stroboscopy exam, and some diagnostic therapy clarifies or gets more detail about the history that may be relevant, such as more details on singing history, and we may also do um, do a, a, a little bit of trial therapy if we have time. And then I'll go get the doctor and we'll come back and we'll view the exam together and talk with the patient about what we see and what we think is happening and what our plan is going to be. So that's our kind of clinic evaluation. So we're working very closely with those oncologists and talking about what we think is going on and how patients are doing. So for example, if I've been working with a patient in voice therapy for six sessions 
and it's time for them to come back to get checked, see how their see how their vocal folds are doing. I will chat with the doctor briefly and say, "Hey, Mrs. Smith is doing great. She's actually really happy with her voice." And I think we'll probably do one or two more sessions as a wrap up, and she'll be good to go. And the doctor says, "Okay, awesome." Or I might send a message to or talk to the doctor in person and say, you know what, this patient is, is really struggling. I, she's trying really hard, but I don't think she's going to get where she needs to be with therapy alone. So today we should probably talk about her surgical options, or it might be something as simple as, you know what, she's been mentioning a lot of post-nasal drip and sneezing with the pollen recently. Do you think you can give her a nose spray today? So we're always in very close communication <laughs> with the doctors. And we're also talking to our other speech pathology colleagues as well. Um, troubleshooting, problem solving. Hey, I have this patient with this issue. Have you seen this before? Or, you know, I'm kind of stuck on this patient with vocal tremor. And I think we need to get, get, get a different set of ears on her. Can we co-treat? So there's a lot of a lot of talking back and forth. It's a very close-knit group. Sounds very collaborative, very supportive, mm-hmm. very safe. Yes. And I I was hired, so I've been at Duke for five years. I've been doing voice therapy for um, eight. So since I was hired, we have brought on five additional clinicians and seeing how we onboard them and how we have fostered the the growth and privileging of these clinicians to to come up to our standards and learn what we do has actually made me more more comfortable with saying I need help with something because I realize well I'm not judging this young clinician I'm not judging this this student I'm not judging this person who has been doing speech pathology for a while but is now getting more into voice I'm just I'm just excited to help them so that galvanizes me on the other end to go to my more experienced colleagues or to even less experienced, but still incredibly smart and gifted colleagues and say, I'm having a hard time with this. What do you think? And I do think it fosters a sense of collaboration and, and growth that I, I really appreciate. That's a treasure. Being in the field as many years as I have been, um, I just... And I was talking to a son earlier today, he's talking about which job. And I said, well, which, where do you like, who do you like working with? He said, well, this group. And I said, that's the group you go with. Mm-hmm. So any advice for the clinician who has been like you, and I know several of them who've started graduate school and they're like, this is what I want to do. I want to do voice. This is where I want to go. Any recommendations for getting to where you are? I think recognizing that it may not all happen at once. I, when I was in grad school, had a job offer for kind of an outpatient, um, outpatient rehab clinic where I maybe could have done some voice, but it was mostly going to be neuro rehab. And it was so hard for me to do, but I turned that job offer down because I was single-minded And then it actually took me, I graduated in May and it actually took me until um, Halloween of that year 
when I got my job offer. I had done multiple interviews, traveled all over the country, created some great uh, networking opportunities. You know, people that I'm still Facebook friends with, and you know, oh, this this person who was there when I interviewed at this place just had their second baby, that kind of stuff. So I don't think the time was wasted, and I was very I was very blessed to have the the luxury of being able to 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 work and live at home while I was going through all that. And I realized that not everyone does, that's for sure. And I, I paid for it, don't worry. <laughs> my student loans came due uh, before <laughs> before I had my <laughs> my grace period was over, uh, before I had my my job. So I I was dedicated. I had set myself a, a deadline by the end of the year. I said, you know what, if I if I don't have something that looks like a good prospect for a voice job, then I will work somewhere else if I haven't found anything yet. And I just kind of stayed single-minded and really dogged about it and kept going forward and making those recommendations and asking uh, places where I'd interviewed, what, what, what could I do differently? What are you looking to hear from someone? What is a, a missing link, pun intended, that, uh, that would make a difference? And I got some great feedback because no one, even though it was really hard and I'm, I am an Enneagram one and I like to be perfect at all things immediately. So it was really hard to face some rejection that I was not prepared for or expecting in any way. I was honestly expecting to waltz into the first place and say, look at my, look at my pedigree, hire me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was actually a really good growing experience that served me well afterward. And I also realized that no one that I'm talking to or interviewing with doesn't want me to succeed. Everyone that I'm talking to right. wants me to succeed. We all want to help each other grow. And so even, even though it was hard, it, it still felt supportive in a way. That makes sense. <laughs> well, it wasn't you realized and had the perspective that it wasn't personal but that the position wasn't a right fit for them or mm-hmm. you. Right. And I have, of course, we put out um, the rejection challenge for SLPs. So many of us, when we are rejected, and I've been, re- I had an experience like you where I walked in, I'd waited for this job for 18 months. I heard somebody was leaving and I was going to step in and waltz in and, and it didn't work um, for, for a funny little reason. <laughs> They said, we love you. Why don't you apply for the director position? I said, oh, well, oh, okay. Interviewed for that. The speech pathology position was filled. I didn't fit the the director position. And then, you know, so you're right. Things have a way of working out, but not to take that personally and Mm -hmm. to move on. Um, Either I have this quote of mine, I either win or I I learn. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I can think of my colleagues today. I have some who went through the traditional path. Um, some of whom even went to uh, the same school I did <laughs> years earlier, um, who followed the traditional path and it was very predictable and, you know, step by step by step. And then I have other colleagues who are doing voice therapy, speech pathology as a second career, which happens a lot for voice clinicians a lot of times. There will, um, they'll have a, a performing career or a, a singing career or a teaching career um, before they enter or discover or move on to voice therapy. And I have some other colleagues who did not find that voice 
fellowship initially and said, you know, I have to have a job and a job is better than no job. And then, you know, I'll, I'll keep these connections and stay in touch and ta-da, now they're working for us. And in fact, that previous experience from that non-voice related clinical fellowship actually has, have served them very well in, and, and rounded out what they're doing now. So there's a traditional path, but it's not necessarily, it's not the only path. That's right. for sure. What do you wish you had known starting your speech pathology career that you now know? What words of advice would you give to your younger self? I wish I had known how much of me it would take. I put a lot of myself into caring for my patients. I'm very, very emotionally invested in them. And I wish I had known how to, I I wish I had known to expect that, to know that at the end of a long day, when, when something great happens with the patient or something really challenging happens with the patient, or when I'm puzzling over what to do, that I need to give myself a little grace, a little break outside of work to recharge. Um, and I wish I had known that other people wouldn't necessarily get it. Mm-hmm. Family and, and spouse and other friends whose jobs maybe are more task-oriented. Um, I wish I had known how to explain that to people earlier. Because I think it would have helped me protect a little bit of my my energy <laughs> in a way. I'm an introvert. So working one-to-one with people is fine for me, but it does, it does, it costs me something, but I'm not willing to sacrifice that, um, that emotional investment in my patients either. That's a well, really good question. Well said. I, you know, I do this podcast, they teach, I, I speak, I do all these things and I myself am an introvert and I love being an introvert. I don't want to change who I am. I love my alone time. I love my creativity time. And as speech pathologists, we give to our patients and we give to our company because the company requires. And sometimes there's very little for us left in the middle. It's like one of those thin Oreo cookies. <laughs> you open it up and you're like, wait, where's the stuffing? Mm-hmm. There's sometimes not a left, not left for us. And so I like that reflection of, hey, I wish I had known that I was going to give so much of me and exactly what the price of admission was from the very beginning. I remember in grad school wondering, why don't I see that many speech pathologists over 50? Why are so many of the people in their 30s? Why, Why does it seem to be so skewed? And I think it's because it's, Either you advance to the point where you're not doing as much clinical work and you're doing more administrative things as you get older and more experienced, or I do think that there is um, some burnout that makes people want to change what setting they're in or how often they're working or, or how much they're working or the demands they place on themselves. Cause it is, it's an, it's an investment um, for better or for worse, right? There's, there's, there's good and bad things about that. Um, but part of me just wishes I'd known a little bit more to expect that rather than, Oh, everything's going to be great. It's a wonderful career. Yes, it is. It is. 
But that doesn't mean that it's an easy career. And I'm glad you bring that up. I try to be very authentic and real. People say, how can you love your career so much? And I love my career so much because of the rewards I get with the patients, the difference that I make with the lives of the people that I'm fortunate enough to work with. But burnout is real and huge and setbacks and rejection. And we don't get paid a lot. And the list can go on and on and on. One of the reasons I ask every single guest who comes on this podcast, tell me why you started as a speech pathologist, because if we remember why we started and keep that tether in the beginning of why, and we keep coming back to that vision and that value, then our ability to deal with the hardships of being an SLP are easier to battle and to weather because we remember why we're doing it. Mm -hmm. And that makes it easier when I look at my schedule. <laughs> As I opened up my computer here, I'm on my work computer, I looked at my schedule, made the mistake of doing that on Sunday night, and I was like, oh man, I have an eight o'clock patient. <sighs> and there's that little sigh because would I rather be doing something else that feel, you know, going through my, my emails that I haven't been able to get through last week? Mm -hmm. Would I, you know, would I rather be able to sleep in and, drink tea on my patio? Sure, I would. But then I remember that 100% of the time, no matter how I'm feeling, no matter what's going on in my life, and the past year or, or so has been hard for all of us with right. COVID, hard for me personally because my mom was sick and then passed last year. Even though things are hard, I 100% of the time feel better after a work day after I worked with my patients. It has never failed me. What would you say to the speech pathologist who does not share that same experience? I don't think, I don't think they're alone. Um, I think uh, I would want to look at why, you know, why they think, because there's gotta be a root cause for that, right? Is it an environmental thing? Is it a, is it a pressure thing? Is it a, productivity thing? Is it a pay thing? Is it a location thing? Hours thing? Even though I was pretty happy with my um, work schedule and, and such, my quality of life now that I'm doing video visits from home sometimes is significantly better. And that has given me a little bit more uh, verve and energy with my patients. So it could be, it could be a, it, it could be a I think that could be problem solved. Layers could be peeled back. Um, and I, I would also say that you may go through seasons. Not everyone has to be as happy-go-lucky all, all the time. We don't need, you know, whatever the, the key phrase is these days, toxic, toxic positivity. We don't need that in the workplace. Mm -mm, no. Not medical SLPs, the best ones I find, do not have that attitude. We're very straightforward. We're very simple and clear and direct. And I think that is one of the things that our patients really appreciate. Mm -hmm. You know, another thing that bounces around in my mind, too, is going back to the question of what, what do you wish you had known? I do think there's a, a dearth of um, 
preparation in graduate school for counseling of patients. I think, I mean, I went to a good grad school. I feel like they prepared me well, but I think we had one class the last semester Mm-hmm. on like counseling and clinical issues, um, which I understand. A lot of that you can't learn from a book. Um, you just have to try things on. But so much of my day is spent teaching and counseling, motivating patients. That part takes a lot of investment. And oh boy, at the beginning, I was fumbling around because I had no idea what to do. I felt unprepared in that way and it can make it can make or break a patient's journey in voice therapy we have six sessions maybe with them eight maybe and really we have one or two before they decide this is working or it's not so we have to we are we have to perform maybe, maybe one or two with those right. kind of pops even if they right if they come if they yeah so it is very challenging to put that kind of pressure on ourselves. And man, if you're working with someone who is emotionally vulnerable in this moment, there's a lot of vulnerability that comes to a a patient saying, Hey, I need help with something. If, if we don't handle that with the right kind of care, (laughs) it can make or break that patient's journey. And I think that there is a, a real, uh, I think there needs to be more emphasis on counseling, not, not to make us social workers or counselors, but I think we need input from those specialties because a lot of what we're doing may be the most that a patient ever gets listened to. And we have that time and that space to work with that patient and answer those questions. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things about being a speech pathologist. I have that time. Mm-hmm. And that ability. Final question. This one's going to make you think just a little bit. What words of advice would you give to somebody who's starting off in the field or wanting to move into voice therapy that somebody else might not agree with? Ooh, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went into voice therapy thinking that I wanted to work with singers. Mm -hmm. I don't work with any singers. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so everyone perceives voice therapy at, in some ways as um, luxury therapy. Like, oh, you know, if you want to work on your singing voice, well, that's that's not a necessity. And there is there's little pockets in the voice world. Um, this pocket may have this belief. This pocket may have this belief. So. When I say one pocket or two pockets may believe with and uh, may believe and others may say, no, you're wrong. Um, I don't think you have to have a, a huge musical pedigree to be able to be a voice specialist. You do need an ear. Mm-hmm. I think that is my most, one of my most important tools is my ear and ability to hear subtle changes. And then my knowledge from speech pathology and what I've learned helps me make that change something that the patient does, but my ears, what helps, helps me know that I need to do something, but that ear doesn't necessarily have to come from a master's degree in vocal performance. Um, and that's, that's a pretty big, there's a pretty big stone wall between voice 
specialists. Now, another thing I would say that I do not, that, that probably people will get mad at is I think if you are kind of dabbly in voice or you haven't seen a voice patient since grad school and someone comes to you with a voice problem, you shouldn't be doing therapy with that patient. I would not do therapy with someone with aphasia because I haven't done it since grad school. I would refer them if at all possible, because I have seen way too many times patients come to us after seeing a general ENT, after being thrown around between a whole bunch of different specialists, after doing some speech therapy somewhere, and they are totally mentally turned off. And really what they need is some expert voice therapy. I am not an expert in anything, but voice therapy and TEP and a little bit of head and neck care. Mm-hmm. I'm not an expert in, in aphasia. I'm not an expert in TBI. I've, I'm not an expert in anything else. So I wouldn't see something that I'm not, uh, that I'm not going to be serving the patient's best interests. And I think that there is too much of that. Now, I don't want to just say there it is and not fill the gap. So one of my passions is in educating speech pathologists who are not voice specialists, how to actually help voice patients. Mm. Because I do think that that gap needs to be filled. How do you do that? Um, we do a lot of, we do a lot of community education um, and sometimes speech pathologists attend I gave a talk at the North Carolina Speech Language Hearing Association a couple of years ago about how to do voice therapy, demystifying voice therapy for the non-voice clinician. Because I want to emphasize that these clinicians are good clinicians, right? They're not bad clinicians, but they just don't have the tools or know where the toolbox is or have the key for the toolbox or understand what this thingamabob inside the toolbox does. So I want to help demystify it and give people, um, give clinicians a sense that it's voice therapy is not a mystery. You do need to know about it. You do need to know what you're doing, but it's not a mystery. It doesn't need to be shelved away in a box that only someone with a master's in music and vocal performance and with some, the soprano lead in every author ever can, can open. Anyone can open it if they have an ear, but you can't just willy-nilly decide you're going to do voice therapy today either. Some of my best referrals come from other speech pathologists who mm-hmm. don't have the skill set and wisely, rightfully refer on to me or somebody else who is more skilled or you who is more skilled in that area. And then that's how we bridge the gap as well, because we have an opportunity to collaborate and we may trade the patient back and forth sometimes. They might start with something and say, oh, wow, that's a really good, okay, we're going we're gonna to put a pause on that exercise or that technique for now, but we're going to grow this one. And then, okay, here, here's some things. Now, if you need follow-up, let's, let's go back to this clinician three hours away where you live. And, you know, if, if you need a, a fresh, refresher session, that would be a good place to start. Mm-hmm. And, or we may collaborate back and forth and say, okay, I've done some manual therapy. I've got my hands on my neck, but for the rest of therapy, here's kind of what I'm thinking. What are you thinking? Well, I think this because such and such. Okay. I think that's a great idea. What if you did it this way? 
And so we have the opportunity for collaboration. And that's how we close that gap so that people who want to or find themselves in the situation where they are given a voice patient, ta-da, here they are, have more tools and a resource. Because I love nothing better than answering questions about voice. <laughs> you know? Oh, I know. Me too. Well, this is an excellent place to stop. Thank you so, so much for your time today, Lauren. This was great. Absolutely. It was fun. It, I, it is fun. It's loop. <laughs> it is fun. It is I'm going to so do more. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> go, you, sh- you yourself can go on a podcast tour. Podcast <laughs> tour. It's fun connecting with other speech pathologists who love what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And having those very real, real, real conversations, though, like you and I just had, mm-hmm. you know, and not painting the big rosy picture, but just in a positive way, collaborative way, saying, hey, this is what I do. What do you do? Let's make her feel better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because what we do is amazing. It really is. We don't get remembered for it. Six weeks after therapy ends, patients not going to remember your name. Nope. They're not going to remember who they worked with. They may not do their exercises, but their life has changed. Yep. Because of us. Yep. It's a privilege. Yeah. It is a privilege. I'm remembering. I'm not going to be able to remember the story. I'll put it on the show notes, though, about... um, yeah, I'm not going to remember the story, but it's about um, just, you know, we may not remember every single meal that we eat and every single, you know, beverage that we drink that nourishes us and, and feeds our body. But, you know, we do benefit from that mm-hmm. and benefit from the nutrition and, and much of the work that you and I do and other speech pathologists do is very necessary. Mm-hmm. Very, very necessary. So thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. It was great to meet you and and make a connection, another connection out there in the world. I hope today's conversation has created some aha moments for you and motivated you to become a better SLP. Continuing to connect some of those missing links between what you know and how to use that knowledge. Thank you for downloading the missing link for SLP's podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, I'd love you to subscribe, rate it, and leave a short review. Also, please share an episode with a friend. Together, we can raise awareness and help more SLPs find and connect those missing links and get the information needed to help them feel confident in their patient care every step of the way. Follow me on Instagram and join the Fresh SLP community on Facebook. Show notes are always available, so come learn more at freshslp.com. Let's make those connections. You got this.